Welcome to our weekly, we mean weekly Wednesday shear. Say Wednesday night, but on Baruch Hashem we're doing the shear by day. As it's Chayel, a lot of Fabreng is going on. And we won't be available. Baruch Hashem for such things. He's not the hate. Good Yamtiv. The Rabbeim would say good Yamtiv. Interesting to note, <coughs> first of all, the Nishmas, Ephraim, Benchanan, Yamtiv, Lipa, Shmuel, Yaakov, Meisha, Chaim, Baruch, and Shinet, Bas, Ibrahim, Akoyen, and Dorit, Bas, Meisha, Levi. Interesting to note, Chayel, as the Yem Yem describes, is a very, very special day. The Yem Yem being a book, not a book, of course, a sefer, compiled by the Friedrich Rebbe, which the Rebbe ultimately gave out. And the Rebbe describes Chayel, and the Friedrich Rebbe describes Chayel in the Sefer. Shnei Ma'iris Hagadolis, the birth date of both the Balshama Kodesh and the Alter Rebbe. Um, what's interesting to note, as we said, was until 1940, nobody made a deal about this thing. Friedrich Rebbe, we mentioned first in 1940, is the first time we have mentioned of the Shnei Meiris Hagadolis that were born on Chayel. To which the Rebbe said the Tzavtif on this. Friedrich Rebbe said. Tzav Shalom Ralef, 1971, the Rebbe began actually fabringing on Chayel, a full-fledged fabringing. 9.30 at night, describe the ambience. Downstairs in 770, bleachers up against on one side of the wall, <coughs> benches throughout the floor, On the opposite end, in front of the Aron Kedish, again bleachers. Facing the Rebbe. Not exactly bleachers, there were guys standing, people stand on benches there. That was set up. <coughs> the Rebbe sat up on a table. Not on a table, I'm sorry. On, up on top by the platform by his own table, the Rebbe sat by himself. Usually the Rebbe's right was, to the extreme right was the Rashag, the Rebbe's brother-in-law, Rebbe Garari. And on Fabrengans that were a special occasion, Rebbe Yalis from Philadelphia would come as well. 
And behind the Rebbe sat the Zikni Anash, usually the elders, who couldn't, you know, sit with monks, see them getting pushed, younger guys. Although behind the Rebbe there was plenty of pushing. The old people knew very well how to use their elbows. Under, the Rebbe's table was up on a set of four on a platform. Underneath directly would be the Chazer of Yale Khan. On a weekday, Fabrengen, Rabbi Meir Halig, used to sit with a reel-to-reel tape recorder, recording the Fabrengen, a little mic up on top. Directly in front of the Rebbe were two tables, but there was a space between the tables. Chassidim sat on both sides of those tables. Usually, again, the elder Chassidim. And then behind them went the benches facing each other, basically. In other words, to the right, all the benches faced the front, into the middle of the shul, to the left, all the benches in the middle of the shul. And the Rebbe would fabrain. The Rebbe would speak without notes. A fabrain could last sometimes five, six, seven hours. They were shorter Fabregans for two, three. Fabregans started at 9.30 at night. And depended not on if they ever had what to say, but depended on the what was going on or what the occasion was, how long the Fabregans actually went. And obviously in the weekdays, they ever Fabregans with a microphone. There were, I don't know how many telephones in what the room was called the WLCC, Shidur Chai, live hookup, which also didn't happen right away. It took a while to the event until they created that. And all different parts of the world would call in and would listen to Fabrengen. There was also another section which was I think set up in the Kailul the building of the Kailul at the time was behind 770 on Union Street I believe there they were set up with a few translators and the translators spoke different languages they had different different translators for different languages people that didn't speak Yiddish would go before Fabrengen and rent one of these transmitters and the translators would sit with the headphones listening to Fabrengen over via hookup obviously and would sit and translate and the person was able to sit by the Fabrengen and look at the Rebbe's facial expressions when the Rebbe was talking and know what the Rebbe was saying because simultaneous translation was going on in his ears pretty modern technology later on they decided to get a little more modern and they put on I guess it's called 
closed circuit, not closed circuit, I don't know what it's called. It was on, you were able to find it on TV. Fabrengens. The Fabrengen Live, you'd be able to pick up on, I don't remember what, what kind of stations they were. And they would bring in all these cameras and mices and put them up on platforms and all different angles. They'd scan the crowd in the middle. Very professionally done. There's actually a famous story. Probably dozens of them. The Rebbe was going to the ale. The Rebbe didn't drive. He had a driver. The Rebbe was sitting in the front to go to the ale. And they pulled up parallel by a red light to a non-Jewish woman. And the Rebbe looked, sorry, and motioned to her to lock the door. In those days, another piece of trivia, the lock of the door of a car was a button that came up. And when you unlocked the door with your key, the button popped up. If you locked your keys in the car, you'd go with a hanger, you'd make a little loop, and they would go in with the hanger and they'd put it around, they'd catch onto the head of the button, and they'd pull it up. And they would unlock the door. So the button was up, obviously it was, her door was unlocked, and the Rebbe motioned to her to lock her door. Again, an, another common that we take for granted today, the cars, when you start the car, you start to drive, the door's locked. In those days that didn't work. So she locked the door. Excuse me, the next block, apparently the Rebbe's driver was a swift driver, but the next corner, the Rebbe's driver made it through the light, and this woman didn't. As she was sitting by the light, a few men came over to her car, and in those days it was a popular concept called carjacking, where they would come over to you, they'd pull your door open, pull you out of the car, and just jump in the car and drive off. So she got to the corner, these guys came running out of nowhere, and started to pull her door open, because the door was locked door was locked and she saw that she got frantic and she just drove off there was no red light camera no she didn't get a ticket that's it who was that what was that she had no idea yeah yeah hi yeah yes uh-huh. Okay. And she wanted to thank this person for telling her to lock the door, but who is he? A little while after, apparently she was, and they call it channel surfing on her TV, and there was the person talking to the crowd addressing the crowd and on the screen there was an English translation or maybe 
I don't know if across the screen went the English translation word for word, or if there was actually listen to the English translator. Maybe he was. I don't remember. I, I mean, I don't remember. I wouldn't know. I was by the Fabrengen. And every so often, it flashed on the screen what you're listening to. You're listening to Rabbi Nachman Rebbe, 770 Eastern Parkway. For more information, the phone number. She was so fascinated. She was so excited. She immediately took down the phone number. And obviously that night she couldn't call because the Rebbe was forbidding. But the very next day she called the Rebbe's office to tell the secretary to please thank the Rebbe for her, how the Rebbe saved her life. And they were totally, you know, who are you and where do you come from and how does that work? And it was random. So this was a fabrengen. So the Rebbe started to fabreng like on Chayel. There was other occasions the Rebbe fabreng. It was Kislev, Yiralof Nissen. The Chayel fabrengen started on, on in Tavshin Lamed Aleph, 71. And the Rebbe fabreng until Mem Ches, until, um, seven, until 88. During those Fabrengans, the Rebbe would speak a Sicha, as it was known, a talk. Oh no. The Rebbe would speak a Sicha. And then the Rebbe would end off usually the Sikha with a Bracha. Close. And end off the Sikha with a Bracha. And then after. And once the Rebbe ended the Sikha, the Rebbe would say the And the crowd would sing a Nigun. There was actually one person that used to start all these Nigunim, every Nigun, every song. The crowd would then sing the Nigun. And during that meeting, people had an opportunity to say the to the Rebbe. And people would say the Chaim, and the Rebbe would answer the Chaim. The 
Chassidim will say v'chaim, and the Rebbe will answer v'chaim in the bracha. That's why. Not a major problem, just pushing the wrong buttons. Apologies for those who are going to see the video. You're going to be missing a part, so hopefully you'll be able to download it from the audio. www.shir.us, S-H-I-U-R.us. Okay, we're back. Sorry, the video froze. Which is not good for me, because I don't know what, how many minutes it was. I don't know how long she is going to be now. And during the singing, as I said before, the Rebbe would, people would say the Chaim. The Rebbe would answer the Chaim of the Bracha. It wasn't to one person, to two people. Anybody that, answered, that put their hands up, their cup up with the wine in it, say the Chaim. The Rebbe would answer the Chaim of the Bracha. There were occasions where somebody said, wanted to say the Chaim with a small kalashal, a small cup, and the Rebbe looked up and the Rebbe said, made, the Rebbe made with his holy hands to have a big cup. One such occasion, the Chaim, Kalbach, came on Matzah Pesach. And Matzah Pesach, the Minig Chabad, is we have Mashiach Suda before the end of Yom Tif. And we drink again four cups of wine and we eat matzah and everything. We don't make a whole seder, but we drink four cups of wine and eat matzah. It's called Suda Shem Mashiach. And he had come to that Fabreng in the middle, obviously. By us, it was, the Rebbe was still Yom Tif. By them, he had already finished Yom Tif. He made Avdol already, he came by car. And he came and he stood in a corner, in a pretty obscure corner, on the bottom. And he got up a little bit on the bench, he got one foot up on the bench just to see the Rebbe. And the Rebbe caught him, and they made eye contact, and the Rebbe told him, Say Chaim. So immediately he. Everybody around saw that Rebbe told him to say the Chaim. They gave him right away a small little cup to say the Chaim. And he lifted the cup and the Rebbe said, smiled and said, a big cup. So he took a bigger cup and he poured the small, the contents of the small <laughs> bigger one and he lifted his hand up again and the Rebbe said, fill it up. So he filled up the cup, or they filled it up for him. And he said the Chaim. And he took a sip, and the Rebbe said, no, 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 finish it. So he finished the cup. And when he finished the cup, the Rebbe smiled at him and picked up his fingers and said four times. He should say four, he should take four cups. I must tell you, I don't recall if he did it right then and there, all four cups, or if he did it over the course of the next hour or two, whatever it was, left of the Fabrengen, but I'm sure he did do all four cups. That's one occasion of the Rebbe saying L'chaim by Fabrengen, but a more spiritual realm of the L'chaims by Fabrengen 
was Shabbos Tishabov. In days of yesteryear, people would go up to the country, families would go up to the country, to their bungalow colonies, but the husbands worked all week and they would stay in the city, like they do most part today, and they came up for Shabbos. And they went back Sunday night. When there was a fabreng in that Shabbos, Shabbos of Varachim, or something they knew, Chaf of, Chaf Menachem of, Yubeistamos, where they knew there'd be a fabreng for sure, people stayed. They stayed for Shabbos for the fabreng without their families. And they went up on Shabbos. It was Shabbos Tishabov, very few people stayed, very few people imagined the Rebbe would fabreng. There was still enough to pretty much fill up the shul. And the Rebbe didn't need the audience. The Rebbe had a message. Ironically, a good part of this message, that Fabrengen, was a little miracle that the Rebbe not performed, it happened. There were a lot of empty seats, so people could sit wherever they really wanted. They got places you didn't usually sit. If you weren't one of those people that had a seat every week, you were able to find a seat that week. And this man was sitting there, and they were singing in Ing. And the Rebbe caught, I, caught, I made eye contact with the man, asked the man, like, sorry, and kept staring at him. Now this was not very comfortable. Rebbe staring at you. So he tried to avoid, he tried to put his head down, he tried this, he tried Finally, so the Rebbe is not giving up, Rebbe staring at him, he left. He went out of the shul, and he went around the other side, and he found himself a seat on the other end. Mm-hmm. It was very short-lived until the Rebbe found him, and stared at him again. Finally, he was getting very, very antsy, or nervous, scared, he poked the guy next to him, quickly give me a lachayim. And the fellow gave him a lachayim, and he took the little kelsha and he picked his hand up. And then very, very seriously answered the chayim of the bracha. <laughs> anyway, P.S. Amatzei Shabbos this fellow went up to the country, to the bungalow colony, to his wife and for children. Sunday, which was Tishbe of Nidche, Tishbe of Nidche, they, in his bungalow, this, guy, this fellow's bungalow, bungalow, bungalows are very, very, I mean, I don't know how they look like today, but I'm sure they're not much bigger and he was, his wife was cooking something in a pot called a pressure cooker and he walked by the pressure cooker and it blew up in his face and they rushed him to the hospital and they immediately wrote a letter to the Rebbe he needs a bracha this pressure cooker blew up in his face the Rebbe gave a bracha and the Rebbe answered also if not 
for that Lachayim, who knows what would have happened. Because the man said Lachayim, he got a bracha from the Rebbe, Lachayim of the bracha, this saved him from who knows what else could have happened. So this seemingly trivial behavior, not behavior, action of the nigan being sung, which only looks like maybe they were singing it because the Rebbe had to rest to catch his thoughts, whatever it might be. And the chassidim saying l'chayim to the Rebbe, middle, the Rebbe answering each and every person l'chayim v'lebracha. was not a simple gesture. Each time the Rebbe answered a chassid, or a person gathered in the hall, in the shul, L'chayim v'levracha, tremendous blessings were bestowed on that person. And this obviously, I mean, you're saying, why? Why are we, quote-unquote, taking up time of a shir to talk about such a thing. Why don't we just, you know, you're talking about the parsha and everything. This is our mini fabrengen of Chayel. The concept of a fabrengen is to wake up yearning from within a person. And therefore by hearing this, for those that were at Fabrengens, or Zeichel to be at Fabrengens, that merited to be there, to awaken by them, to want to be again, that we should be Zeichel to have another Fabrengen yet. And for those that have not had the schus to be by Fabrengen, to also daven and cry to Hashem, it's time for Mashiach to come so that we could be Zeichel, we could merit to once again sit by a Fabrengen with the Rebbe. Let's focus on the Pasha. I don't even, I didn't even mention yet the name of the Pasha. We spoke a little bit, a trifle, about the concept of Chayel, the birth date of the two illuminaries, the Baal Shem Tov and the Alter Rebbe. And there are many hours of Fabrengens, thank you, where the Rebbe discusses the commonality and the differences between the two great illuminaries. The sixth parsha begins to talk about the Bikurim, the first fruits brought by the Jew. The first fruits that grew, he would gather in the time when it was to come up to the Beis HaMikdash, Shalash and brought Bikurim. Oil. 
He brought, the man brought in a basket. The poor person brought in a woven basket that he made. And the rich man brought one of the most beautiful platters, gold and silver. Ironically, the poor man's basket stayed in the Besamikdash. And the rich man received his tray back. Bikurim were the name of the game. The first fruits were the name of what had to be brought up. If you couldn't bring the actual carry all those fruits, then you sold them, you took the money, and you brought the fruits in Israel, in Yerushalayim. You were in Israel, or else you didn't have to bring the Purim. And there was a process of what the person had to say as he presented to the Kayin the fruits. Then the Tater tells us Rejoice all the good that God your God has given you. A Jew needs to rejoice. A Jew needs to be besimcha. One of the things, one of the quotes of the Baal Shem Tev, who, as we said, his birthday today is Chayel. Jews are happy. Yehudim him smechim, ashezachol liyas have the Hashem. Yidden zelin sefridin, vazizenin kinech tzeleivishteh. Jews are happy with the fact that they merited to be servants of God. We also see in Davar Melech says in Tehillim. If do as Hashem b'simcha, serve God b'simcha. Since all we need to do is serve God, person needs to always be b'simcha. And in this week's parsha, Avarta Hashem lekecha b'simcha betuv levov. You served your God, joy and happy heart. Although all mitzvahs need to be done with simcha, joy, there are those mitzvahs that Tera stresses, emphasizes, I'm sorry, and says these need to be done even more with simcha. One such mitzvah is the bringing of the Bikurim. Where the Pasha begins...
with it. When the Pasha begins, the Torah describes how to do this mitzvah, and it direct quote the person. Must rejoice. Rejoice to all that God has given you. The Mitzvah Bikurim has a fundamental, a basic fundamental of the service of God. The Torah tells us that you must take Reishis Kalpriya Adama, the first of your fruit of the land. Not just the first that grew, but the most beautiful ones that grew. And you must bring this to God. And this mitzvah, unfortunately, is a mitzvah that was only done when the Holy Temple stood. Only then could you travel to Yerushalayim and come to the Beis HaMiglash, to the Temple, and give to the Kayin the fruits. Unfortunately, amongst the other terrible parts of our Golas, of our exile, is also the deprivation of doing the Mitzvah Bikurim. However, if if that were the case, that the mitzvah cannot be accomplished today's day and age, why would Terah talk about it? Terah is nitzchis. Terah is perpetual. And therefore, there's no such thing as something that happened 2,000 years ago that doesn't happen today. So we need to learn a lesson. What is our lesson? from Bikurim. The Pasuk starts at the beginning of the Pasha. As you will come to the land that God, your God gives to you. We have a journey. We're on our journey at all times. We have GPSs to tell us sometimes which way to go. And sometimes it tells you recalculating. I believe I've told the story that Janko Miller tells. He's a batchen, which is like a comedian. By the end of a wedding, 
in the Chassidish circles, they have what is known as mitzvah tents. And each person is introduced in the spiritual way, inviting all the ancestors that come with him in their soul. And in between, he'll tell a, uh, a joke. So he told this story. As a batchen, doing mm-hmm. weddings, it's a wonderful job. Unfortunately, there's no weddings all year long. Three weeks, doing Sphere Saimer, no weddings. So I gotta live, I gotta put food on my table. So I do funerals. Not the same, obviously, but that's his job. He does. They like the way he talks. Doesn't perform by a funeral, but he don't say a few words, inspire people. So he gets an address to the funeral. The funeral was not in a chapel; it was at the graveside. And he describes how he gets into the car. He puts it into the GPS, and the GPS starts to tell him a right turn or left turn. And he goes on and on. How many times it was recalculating because he didn't listen to what it said. Finally, 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 he pulls up to the gravesite. And the people are standing there by the open grave, waiting for him. And the GPS tells him, you have arrived at your final destination. Needless to say, he threw out the GPS. person has a destination. They go... They travel, they have a journey. Many of us know of people that lived okay in their own neighborhoods in different houses over the course of years. And how many of us know people that moved different neighborhoods in the course of their lives? And how many of us know of the people they live in different cities or countries. They started off in one place and moved and moved and moved. The mental foot of us was on sitting in shul. And a bocha was davening. But he wasn't st- sitting and davening. He was walking, pacing back and forth. The mental got very nervous from this. He called over the Bach and he says, Zog me, he says, Tell me. Ich nicht. I don't understand. You were davening in that corner before. And you saw, you weren't feeling it. You weren't getting the right inspiration. You weren't getting the right whatever. So you walked over to that corner to see if you can get a better reception. And it didn't or it did work better for you. But then it didn't work good for you, so you went back to the first place. When you went back to the first place, obviously this place is better than the second place. So why are you going back again to the second place? You already know that the second place isn't as good as the first one. In other words, the working back and forth is not how a person dominates. 
person stays in one place. You don't have to steal with your foot to your feet together the whole shmes, like Shmesai. But a person needs to sit in one place when they dump. We don't pace back and forth during dump. Malach Matat has to run around catching the letters. But in life, a person moves from place to place. And when someone comes to a certain place, and they settle there for a month, for a year, whatever it might be, five years, a decade... They're there for, they have a mission. There's a reason why Hashem put them there. Or even for five minutes, why Hashem put you there. Why you ended up in that, why a person makes a wrong turn. You don't know who sees. Who sees all of a sudden a yid and says, oh, a yid. Mm-hmm. How many times have I walked into an office where someone said, Rabbi, do you have tefillin with you? And I said, of course. And I took out and I put on tefillin with a person only to realize that I walked into the wrong office. Wasn't going to that office at all. But yet, I found out quick enough why I was in that office. Because that was Hashem's message. So we need to use, utilize the merit that we have when we end up in a destination. And this is even on, out, not in Eretzisel, in Chutzlaretz as well. In Eretz Yisrael, we have our destination for everyone. And the Yetzir Mashiach will come today, we'll all be in Eretz Yisrael. But for the moment, those who are not in Eretz Yisrael, Semach Tzedek says, Mach do Eretz Yisrael. The previous ever brings us in a letter. Semach Tzedek says, Make this place where you are Eretz Yisrael. What does a Jew do when they arrive in this place? Tells us the You should take from the first of the fruits that grew in your land that you brought from your land. This Bukurim has to come from Reishis, from right from the beginning, the first start. When the person is full of vigor, full of strength, And with this strength, one gives shevach v'hidor la'kodesh baruch hu. One gives praise to God. The fact that God gave him this land, and this land gives him plenty. And on a personal note, we look to apply the mitzvah bikurim as such. One needs to dedicate their opening of their day to giving Shevach Vahidoya Lashem. Once the person opens their eyes in the morning, the person cups their hands together, we don't pray with our hands crossed, cups their hands together and says, Maida Nilifanecho 
מלך חי וקיים שחזרת בי נשמוסי וחמלו רבה מונסך. The Maidani is so holy prior to washing Negovasa we are already able to say the Maidani because there is no impurity that could damage or do anything to the, Negev, to the Maidani. Once the person gets up and dressed goes to the mikveh men and everything else they daven, they learn Tata then they involve themselves in the mundane day and world. When one acts this way, they see the blessing of God in constant moments. This, in essence, accompanies us, or this needs to be accompanied with the Simcha Gidayla, with great joy. Not just joy in own personal basis, not just joy on this particular blessing, it's a circumvental joy. One needs to be joyful and happy with all the good that God bestows upon us. The mere fact that we exist is a simcha g'dayla. And even more so, the fact that we are yidin, that we merit to be able to serve God, is joy. And this needs to be enveloped in our daily life. Our mysis, our pu'ulas. When a Jew is involved in the most mundane, any kind of work, he's not detached whatsoever from this simcha. For each and every moment he must feel the joy and all the good that God bestowed upon us. And through Simcha, through this Simcha, we merit HaKadosh Baruch Hu, will give us Eksiva, Vachasima Teva, Shana Teva Mesuka, Shnaz Geula Vesimcha. We don't understand sometimes, when we say something, when we do something, We need to sometimes be careful how we say something to somebody not to affect them in the wrong way. This is Parsha. Vashem Amircha Yem Liyais Leila Am Segula Kashadibalach. Hashem has set up you apart this day. To be Amsegula, treasured people. Like he spoke to you, spoke concerning you. 
What does it mean? We are Am Segula, treasured people, his treasured nation. Rashi explains that the word Segula means a cherished treasure. Costly vessels, precious stones. The king usually stows away for private. And likewise, you are treasured by me, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, more than other nations. The same way. We are stored in such a way, with such an unconditional love, with such an attachment. I, I'd like to think that if I have something that I enjoy very much and I like very much, I'll have it with me at all times. And yet, the precious and the most treasured stones and gems that the king has, he has put away in his treasure chest, locked away. Doesn't use them, Bechal. These are not used for funding anything, the household, or funding military, or anything like that. They're not even used to beautify the house. They're just the fact that they are there. If you don't hold them, you don't hug them, you don't cherish them, you don't kiss them, you don't stare at them, you don't spend time by time, side by side with them all times. They still are the most cherished items the person owns. They serve no purpose. They do nothing for you. But yet you love them unconditionally. You cherish them unconditionally. You value them unconditionally. And this is exactly what the treasure is amassed for. Just to keep the king happy. The mere fact that he knows he has it, he's happy. And it makes him a king. It gives him his eminence. This is the significance of God setting apart the Jewish people as his treasured nation. The preciousness of the Eden, of the Jews, literally, literally transcends the purpose that they serve. It's obvious that if a person does the mitzvahs, learns the teda, does what God wants, observes everything the way it should be, all the commandments, then they reveal God's rule of the world, God's reign over the world. And this, of course, expands God's kingdom. But the identity of the Jew is not the purpose that he actually serves. 
but simply the delight that HaKadosh Baruch Hu derives from Him existing. Just like the hidden treasures in a king's chest. The Jew's very existence is a source of delight to God. Before doing any mitzvahs. Needless to say, when a person does a sin in a Veda, although we look at it and we say, you detach yourself, you took yourself away, you cast away the yoke of God, you need to repent, you need to lament, you need to fast, tells us the two great luminaries teach us Chodesh El is not a time to sit and cry and to tear our hair out Chodesh El is Melech Basada the king is in the field and the king is there for each and every one of us to ask and to request and to beseech whatever we want from him. And therefore it is this time that we need to utilize to say, I want what any language you want to say it in. I want to be written in the good book. I want to be written for a Ksiva, Vachsima Teva, Ishana Teva, Mesuka. I want to be written for a sweet new year. I want to be written that I should have Nachas. I want to be written I should have wealth, I should have peace of mind, I should have tranquility. I should have forgiveness. I should have peace between my friends my pe- and others. This is what we are asking from HaKadosh Baruch Hu so that when our new year starts on Hashanah, we should be written in the Sefer Zechreinis we should be written in the book of life and we should be written in the book of prosperity and happiness and joy with true Simcha and we'd be able to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu with real, real Simcha and real joy from within us. This Matzah Shabbos, the world, unlike Achenu Asfardim, begin to say Sliches. Sliches generally is recited after Chatzayis Halayla. Question asked, hello Rabbi, what's better? After Chatzay Salayla alone or before Chatzay Salayla with a minion? Stump the Rabbi. The Rabbi answered, better with a minion. And therefore they're going to make it, hopefully they'll have a mincha mayor of minion by that shliach. When they dive, after they dive Maidiv, they'll make Havdallah, maybe they'll push it for a few minutes, 
and then they'll say slichas with the minion. And may that shliach and all other shluchim of the Rebbe merit to all of God's goodness and kindness. Begashmias, beruchnias, bebone, chayim, zeyne, ravicha, bekul ravicha. And we have to all remember that we are shluchim. Wherever we find ourselves, we are put there for a mission to deliver a message. May we merit to deliver the message proudly and confidently. And may our messages be heard, and may our prayers be heard and answered. The Shabbos, Siva Chesimah there will be a Shem next week before Shana.